So, ladies and gentlemen, that is the amazing Woodlands Metro media team. Whoop it up! Wouldn't it be great if on any rainy day when you're having trouble, difficulty in life, when things are challenging and tough, wouldn't it be great if you could just click your fingers and then a magic new set of circumstances would arise. You could have a nice comic summer background. Your life could be whole and sweet. You could have spot books to your heart's content and uh, there'd be a wonderful soundtrack. Many people, when they think about Christianity, when they talk about coming to faith or investigating Christianity, that's almost what you want. You want something in your life that will just be a magic solution, a silver bullet, something that's going to make your life better. We're going to go through the next five weeks looking at the book of James. And one of the things that I want to say, and the kind of the, the bedrock of this series, is that following Jesus won't necessarily make your life Better. If anyone tells you that to be a Christian, your life is always going to be sweet roses and everything is going to be easy and God will answer all your prayers, there's never any struggle, there's never any difficulty, be very, very, very wary of such a person. That person is selling something. Because Jesus never promised that our lives would be automatically better. Actually, for most of us, that's our experience. We experience God's love, his peace. We experience community. Some of the stories that the guys were saying in the video at the beginning. But there's no guarantee. But the guarantee that we do have is that following Jesus won't always make your life better, but it will make you better at life. And that is a much more important skill to have. It's really important that you know how to succeed in life, how to act in such a way that no matter what you go through, you're going to get through it. You're going to succeed, you're going to flourish, and you're going to thrive. I guarantee that every single person here, sitting here, watching this online, you want to succeed in your life. You want to do well in life. You don't want to just get through, have your head above water. You want to flourish. You want to do well. You want to have good relationships. You want to have a good family life one day, perhaps. You want to do well in your job. One of the things that people make a big mistake over is the nature of what makes us successful in life. And some people think in order to be successful, it's all about your actions. You know, the way that you behave, the way that you project, the way that you are as a person. And you think that you're graded by your actions, but your actions are easy. Anyone can be good when they're taking the initiative. Anyone can be kind and friendly and considerate and a good person when everything is going their way, when they're in control. It's not your actions that determine how good you are at life and how much you're going to succeed in life. It's actually your reactions. How do you react when life is difficult, when the chips are down? How do you react when you're under pressure? So you think about romance. It's easy to be a great girlfriend, boyfriend, relationship person when everything is going well and you're in the first flush. It's easy to be a good marriage partner when you're in the honeymoon phase. When I married my wife, Kate, who was doing the worship earlier, we were married, we were young, we were both incredibly hot, and uh, it's a joke. Actually, no, it's not a joke, it's true. Um, on Kate's half. But it was easy to do married life then because that was us taking action. That was me taking action. I could put beautiful things under her car windscreen wipers in the morning and I love you and I love you more and all that. It's easy when you're acting, but when you're reacting, not so easy. Seven years in when she speaks to me one day and she says, I don't know 
if I still love you. Normal circumstance, first year of the first child, you hit trouble, you hit challenge. How are you going to behave then? Not so easy to be the lovey-dovey thing. And it's a classic thing. Marriages fall apart. Why? Because people don't know how to succeed at life when the chips are down. So it's easy to be a great employee, employee of the week, employee of the month, really committed to your job, really going for it, putting in the extra hours when everything is going well. But how do you react when you have a boss that is keeping you down, not giving you credit, using and abusing you, not pushing you forward, you're not getting the promotions, you feel like you're being victimized, you feel like you're being held down? Not so easy to be the great worker then, not so easy to have a great mental attitude then. It's easy to be a great flatmate when you've got great flatmates and I, I'm so good and, and I'm so kind and so considerate and I made you a brownie. But when you have a difficult flatmate who winds you up and does that thing for the second and third and fourth and tenth and twentieth time that you said, don't do that, and they eat your stuff in the fridge and you just get wound up and you lose your temper and you blow your stack and you have this big meltdown and then people are trying to calm you down afterwards and you say, I am a good person. I'm not an angry person. I'm not a judgmental person. I'm, I, I don't have a bad temper. It's just that they pushed my buttons. They wound me up. I was triggered. No, no, that's who you are. It's easy to be nice and good and successful when things are going your way. It's when it gets difficult, when it gets hard. That's when you know you're either going to succeed in life or you're going to fail in life. Easy to be great when your health is good. What happens when you get a problem? What happens when you get sick? Easy to be great and positive when you've got a good flowing bank account, what happens when you get an unexpected bill or you're saddled with debt or you make a bad financial decision and you're now starting to struggle? How do you handle those kinds of times? Because how we react when the chips are down, how we react when there's pressure upon us, that gives us a good indication of are we actually able to succeed in life? Do we have what it takes. You want to do well. You want to have a great marriage. You want to have great family. You want to have great relationships. You want to have a great career. You want to do well. You want to make a difference in the world. It is all down simply to the character that you have and the way that you're able to be good at life. And some people do well no matter what. And other people, they cave when things get tough. And so we're going to be looking over the next five weeks on how to do life better, how you can be better at life, not just some kind of easy, quick, fixed, superficial, green screen background, but a life which is actually robust and strong and skillful and smart. And no matter what comes, you rise above it. No matter what you face, you do well. No matter what the challenge, you overcome it. And we're going to be looking at James. Now, just a little bit of background to James. James was basically, he was the leader of the Jerusalem church. So when Jesus rose from the dead and the church started, James was the leader. He led the Jerusalem church from the very first day right until AD 62 when he was actually uh, murdered. He was murdered by the uh, high priest who ordered that he be taken out and stoned to death. We know this because it's recorded in history by a Roman historian, a Roman Jew, Jew called um, Flavius Josephus. And he uh, records how James was killed. 
Now, if you have read the Bible and you've been paying attention, you might know that James was the name of one of the disciples. And you might be forgiven for thinking that James is a disciple that wrote this book. Because Peter's a disciple, he wrote Peter and to Peter. So you could think, you know, John was a disciple, he wrote the Gospel of John, the letters from John. James is not that guy, because James, the disciple, was actually killed a long time before. James was killed at the very beginning of the church, just a few weeks after Jesus was crucified. When the church first started, there was a massive clampdown. James, the disciple, was killed. So who is this other James? Because you're thinking, hang on a minute, I thought the whole deal was that Jesus is raising up disciples and disciples are going to lead the church and make it come along. Who's this random James that came along? Why don't we see him in the Gospels? Well, you actually do see him in the Gospels. You see him because he was the little brother of Jesus. Stick your hand up if you've got a little brother. Okay, now, those of you, you've got little brothers, you know, and I don't need, we, we, we belong to this fellowship together, Little brother's annoying, right? Am I right? From the first moment that they arrive, mum brings them back from the hospital. Super annoying. You know, you're a teenager. You're going to go out with your mates, going out to have a good time. Little brother comes along. Can I come? You're like, no, you cannot come. You can die because you... You are annoying and a nuisance and I don't want you in my life. I'm going out with my friends. Just go back. I'm going to tell mum. Oh, you're so annoying. Well, Jesus didn't have this problem with James. At no point did James say, I want to get involved. I want to go out with your friends. Because James, along with the other brothers. So Jesus had four brothers. There's James, there's Simon, there's Joseph, and there's Judas. He had about, well, he had at least three sisters. We don't know their names, but we know that there was at least three of them. At some point, the Virgin Mary just became Mary. So a lot of children, big family. And the Bible tells us, Mark records, that the whole family, when Jesus started going around claiming to be the Son of God, forgive sins and all of that, believe in me, I'll raise you up from the dead, they just thought that he'd lost it. So it says that when they heard about the things that he was doing, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. James is there, little brother. You know, my big brother's great, he's awesome, I didn't see him put a foot wrong, but this is crazy stuff. And they tried to control him because they said, you are going to get yourself killed. You're not thinking straight. John records that none of his brothers believed in him. Even his own brothers didn't believe in him. What changed? I'll tell you what changed. The Bible records, Paul wrote it down in one of his letters, that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he'd been crucified on the third day, he rises from the dead. After he's risen from the dead, he appears to a whole bunch of people, including his little brother, James. Now, you didn't think that your brother was the son of God. You didn't follow him. You didn't believe in him. But when you've seen him die and then rise from the dead, then everything changes. And Jesus says to his little brother, Hey, James, I'm making this kingdom. And I'm going to leave my spirit with my friends. And they're going to go out and they're going to change the world. And James says what every little brother in the world says. Can I come? And Jesus says, because he's Jesus. Yeah, of course you can come. You're late to the party, but of course. And so James becomes a leader in the early church. And the letter that he wrote was to all the Christians as they were spread by persecution across the entire of the um, Judean countryside and across all of Israel. And uh, he writes to them. And the question that he wants to get at is, what does it take? What do you need to succeed 
in life. His is the first gospel written. It's written around about 15 years after Jesus has died and risen from the dead. And James is very keen that people have a very practical handle on how to do life. What does it take to succeed in life? And he actually, in these first few verses, he sets it up. And this evening, this is kind of setting up the whole rest of this series as we go through um, for the next five weeks. But he says, essentially, there's two things. There's two things you need to succeed in life. If you can get these two things right that I'm about to tell you, explained from James, you will do well in life. If no one's told you this stuff before, you really need to lean in, pay attention. So we're going to dive in because James is an incredible book. It's like concentrated good stuff. And he starts from the very beginning and he gives us some of these keys as to how we succeed in life. He says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he doesn't pull rank. He doesn't say, hey, James, the brother of Jesus, respect. No, he just says, hey, I'm a servant. And he's not my brother. He's my Lord. That's a name that Jewish people gave to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So that's his kickoff. And then he says this, and it's totally transformed transformational. It's incredible. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Everyone say perseverance. Perseverance. So this is not what you're expecting. People are having hardship, difficulty, challenge. The church is being persecuted. There's a massive famine across the ancient world at the time. And James says, instead of snap your fingers and God will make it all better, he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of all kinds. He doesn't say you should just be really super happy, but he says you reframe it when you're going through challenges, when you're going through trials, when you're going through difficulty. If you are having a hard time, If life is difficult right now, if there's challenges at work or challenges with your health or you're worried about your family or stuff is going on or money's too tight to mention, you should reframe that and consider it pure joy. Why? Because it is the trials, the testing of your faith that produces perseverance. And this, we're going to see, this is such an important thing, such a big key. Now, that word perseverance, in some of the translations, it's translated endurance. Sometimes it's translated patience. But um, I want to just get under the hood of what this word is. This word perseverance, in the original Greek, it is the word hupomeno. Everyone say hupomeno. (laughs) Bless you. So hupomeno, hupo means under, it's a Greek word for under, and meno means to remain. So remain under. Stay under. It means the ability that when the pressure is on you, when life is hard, when things are coming against you, you can handle it. You can stay under it. You're not bowed. You have the ability to stick at it no matter what. No matter how much they throw at you, you can take it. I was thinking about this just in the week, and the best example that I've got for this is, is Captain America. Now, I, I know that there's a few geeks in, in um, the building this evening who like that kind of stuff, but if you've not seen Captain America, there's a bit in his kind of origin story, his backstory. Because Captain America isn't born... 
Captain America. Captain America becomes Captain America. He hasn't been born great. He has greatness thrust upon him. And uh, in the original bit in his film, he's this weedy, scrawny guy. And he's being beaten by a bully in an alleyway. And uh, he just won't back down. And the bully keeps hitting him down, hitting him down, hitting him down. He keeps getting up. He keeps getting up. He keeps getting up. And the bully says, you just don't know. When you're beaten, you just don't know when to back down. And he picks up this dustbin lid and uses it like a shield, foreshadowing. And uh, he says, I can do this. I can do this all day. I can do this all day. And that is when he becomes Captain America. Because that is perseverance. In other words, I'm being attacked. I'm being beaten. I'm being hit down. I am being challenged, I am being defeated, but I can do this all day. I can stand under, I can remain under, I can be under, I can endure, I can have resilience. Did you know that great people are just ordinary people that have extraordinary resilience? They have an extraordinary ability to absorb pain, difficulty, challenge, hardship, to be knocked down and yet get back up again. That's what makes a person great. Not that they have amazing gifts, amazing talents right out of the gate, but that they have the ability to persevere. And this is why James says, you should be glad. You should, I know it's not easy and no one's trying to be glib about this stuff. But when you're going through trials and testings and uh, difficulty, reframe it in your brain. Say, this is something that will produce Perseverance. This is something that's going to bring something out of me. And when Captain America goes and he has this experience of standing up to the bully, I can do this all day. That kind of becomes his catchphrase. The first thing that he's done, the first thing that happens to him is he's taken from that situation and he's put in boot camp so he can be tested, tested, tested against people that are better, faster, stronger. Climb up a ladder, get a flag. Fall on a live grenade. Protect your uh, fellow soldiers. All these tests that are set. And everyone else is better. But there's something about him that says, I'm not going to give up. And I know that my testing is actually leading to me being strong. And it's because he reacts in these hard times that they give him this incredible ability. They put him in, in a special tube and he comes out as Chris Evans. And that's the dream. You know, we all want to come out. There's Chris Evans, and it is absolutely amazing. But he has that thing all through his experience. I can do this all day. I can do this all day. And James is saying, when you come into trials, all kinds of trials, it could be temptation. It could be that you have issues with your mental health. You could struggle with depression. You could have a massive issue with anxiety. And it's not just once. It comes in waves. It comes against you. And every time you get into that situation, you need to be reframing, thinking, actually, this is producing within me some kind of strength. It's making me have the ability to mellow, to remain. I'm remaining underneath it. I can do this all day. But it's not just, and listen to me on this, hear me on this. I'm not just saying, yeah, suck it up. Keep calm and carry on. Stiff up a lip. Don't complain when you're in difficulty. You know, get some moral fiber. I'm not saying that. I mean, that's kind of part of it. But what I'm saying is this, the perseverance and the testing and the trial for a follower of Jesus, it takes on a particular kind of flavor. See, this perseverance, James, he says, it's the testing of your faith that produces perseverance. So your faith is a thing that is tested. 
For a follower of Jesus, and if you're not a believer here, if you're kind of on the edge a little bit, you just need to know this. The Bible says that every follower of Jesus is going to have difficulty specifically around their faith. The Bible says to live well isn't just a matter of having great character and moral turpitude and being strong and resilient. All those things are great, but it's not self-help. To do well in life, you need to have a relationship with God so that God can take you through. If you're going to find your destiny in life, you need God to show you what that is. If you're going to achieve your potential, that which God created you for, you need God to help you. You need a relationship with God that is strong and viable. And in order to have that, you need faith. You need trust. But faith will always be tested. And it's the testing of your faith that produces perseverance. When I was 24 years old, one night, dark and stormy night, I'm driving in my car, driving along the M20, uh, just going westward towards Bristol. I'd been speaking at an event in Kent, and uh, it was just bad visibility. Slip road coming off, brake because suddenly the road's not where I thought it was. Road is just slathered in rain. I lose control. I'm aquaplaning. I'm a passenger. I hit the central reservation, took off. My car is now airborne. The axle was ripped in two. And I crash. Come down to earth. Call for, um, you know, I'm fine. I'm okay. But actually, I had to have an operation the very next day. Totally unrelated. Funny how these things seem to come in twos or threes or fours and fives. Because at the same time, I hadn't, I'd lost my flat. So I was homeless. I was living with Robin Pam Scott Cook, who started the Woodlands Group of Churches. And I'm living in their spare room. I've wrecked my car. I have to have an operation. It's random. I've been expecting it for a while. But it knocks me out and it takes me out of work. I had this thing. I was supposed to go to Canada. I was looking forward to it. Can't because I'm in hospital. And I've wrecked my car. My friends at the particular time, everyone was all over the place. And I didn't have my friends around me. Have this operation, super painful and way, you know, knocks you out. And then they bandaged me. It was around my chest. They put all these bandages around my torso. My body had an allergic reaction to the bandage. And I'm just, I'm covered in welts and rashes. And at the same time, I get an ear infection. I lose my hearing. And I'm, I'm like ill, sick, just disorientated, like what happened to my life? And, and Pam, she's trying to take care of me. And she says, are you, how are you feeling? And I said, what? She said, how are you feeling? I said, yes, two sugars, please. And I'm just in this awful world when I'm totally isolated. And I can remember being on the downs and walking and tears streaking down my face saying, God, where are you? I, I, I gave you my life. I put myself into your hands. You said that you would take me places. You said that you'd be there for me. I'm not seeing it right now. I'm not feeling it right now. Where are you, God? It's my faith that's tested. If you have faith, it's easy to have faith when things are good, easy to have faith when all your prayers are answered, easy to have faith when you're a thriving group of people around you and everyone's going for it. Not so easy to have faith when your relationship that you're looking for breaks down. Not so easy to have faith when you lose your job and you're unemployed for months on end. Not so easy to have faith when it feels like none of your prayers are answered. And James says, those times are going to come, but you just need to know that it's the testing of your faith that produces perseverance. 
And I can remember being on the downs, and, and that verse from James changed my life. Consider it, consider it pure joy. It sucks, and it's tough, and it's difficult, and it's hard. But this is actually something that's going to produce greatness in you. You cannot succeed in life unless you have perseverance. And I'm on the downs, and I'm praying, and I'm saying, God, would you help me? Because if you can help me, even though I don't see you and even though I feel like you've not kept up your end of the bargain, even though I feel that times are tough and life is a challenge, with your help, with your grace, with your strength, I can do this all day. I can do this all day. Disappointment is not going to bring me down. Disillusionment is not going to bring me down. Despair, depression, it's not going to bring me down. I am going to get through this. And so James says, you, you reframe it when you're going through tough times because there's no other way to produce endurance, resilience, that greatness in you than to go through trial and testing. It's your reaction in those times. And so you say, well, James, what is the key? How do I know? Give me some help. And he goes on. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So if you are having a challenge, if you right now, as I've been speaking, you identify with what I'm saying, you just need to know this is the key. Let it do its work. Let it finish its work. Remain under it because God is doing something in you. You've heard the story about the boy that gets the caterpillar that's in a chrysalis and it's, it's a butterfly trying to get out of that chrysalis. And the boy sees the butterfly in the chrysalis, not yet hatched, but struggling. And the chrysalis is moving, but it's so strong. Butterfly can't get out. The boy wants to help, gets a penknife, cuts open the chrysalis. And out comes a butterfly with shrunken wings. And it just drags along the ground. Because it's the struggle that the butterfly needs in order to inflate its wings to their full capacity. It's the struggling, doing its work, that allows those wings to become huge. And the butterfly gets to fly. But it flies because it's built up through the difficulty, through the challenge, through that, the thing that it needs in order to fly. So if you're going through challenge, you're going through difficulty, you need to know this. And if you're not, you will, and you need to remember this. Let it do its work. Don't be, too, don't be in too much of a rush to get through it and to get it behind you. Understand that this is the thing that God will use to make you someone that flies, not walks and crawls along the ground. You go through testing, and my advice is this. Don't let your tears be wasted. Don't let your struggle be in vain. Don't waste the distress. Don't waste the upset. Don't waste the depression. Because these are things that God can use. Are you saying that God gives you these things? No. But I'm saying that these things will come because we are in a chaotic and messed up world. And no one is immune from pain. But actually God can take these things that could bring you down and could break another person. But actually can use it in you to produce strength. So if you want to succeed in life, you need strength. To succeed in life, you need strength. You need that strength of character. You need that strength 
of perseverance, endurance, the ability to hold your shield up and say, I can do this all day because I've been beaten down and I've been battered and I've been bruised, but I am unbowed because God is with me and I trust in him. I still have my faith in God. And you only know if your faith is real once it has been tested, not when everything goes your way. You need strength. But actually, it's not just strength. And this is where James really gets into his own. Because strength on its own is just part, it's half of the equation. There's something more that we need in order to do well in life. People that do well in life, people that do well in relationships, people that do well in friendship and job, and and people who feel good in their own skin, they're not just strong characters. They actually understand stuff. And so James goes on. And he says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, everyone say wisdom. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Now you think, okay, so this extra thing, I need to be strong and I need wisdom. You might think, well, that's bad news for me because I'm not really an intellectual type. Or you might think that's bad news for me because I'm more of a practical kind of knowledge person. And wisdom, because we tend to think about wisdom like, philosophy, or people that have their head in the clouds, or some kind of esoteric, radio for kind of hyper-theoretical stuff. Actually, when the Bible talks about wisdom, and the culture that James is speaking into, wisdom was a whole different thing. It was much more practical. So wisdom in the Bible, it comes up a number of times in the Old Testament. So Aaron, the original priest, God says, I need craftsmen with wisdom. He says this, He says, tell all the skilled workers to whom I've given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so he may serve me as a priest. So someone that is weaving together a garment, someone that is good with their hands. Well, God says, that's wisdom. There was a a famous guy in the Old Testament that God used as a craftsman, an artisan to build the original kind of tabernacle and the priestly stuff. His name was Bezalel. And God said about him, he says, I filled him with the spirit of God and with Wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. Cut stones, work in wood, engage all kinds of crafts. So when the Bible talks about wisdom, it's not some kind of big thing in your head that is just for a special elite kind of deep thinker. Wisdom is just practical skill for life. It's practically applied skill. It's a skill of a builder. In our house, we have, from time to time, we get builders in. Uh, there's a guy that I've had in twice. He's a, like a genius builder, carpenter, fitter. Uh, he's done our kitchen not once, but twice. Uh, his name's Gregor. He's Polish, and uh, he has wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom to know what to do when there's some issue in the house. And what will happen is, you know, he's making the kitchen, and then he'll, he'll call me. He'll say, Philip, Philip. That's how we speak. Philip. He's a problem, problem with wool. And um, I say, uh, what is it? And then he looks again and says, no, it's, 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 it's small problem, small problem. And then he looks at it again and he says, no, it's, it's no problem, it's no problem, don't worry. I fix it, I know what to do. And uh, he's got a very strange accent and uh, <laughs> that's Polish, okay. But he would call me like three, four times a day. Philip, 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 he's a problem. No, no small problem, no, no problem. And he would look at something because he's wise, he would know, ah, that wall's out of the line. That thing's not plumb. That is not opening and closing properly. We have an issue here. But I know what to do. Don't worry. It's not a problem. The guy is wise. 
And James says, God wants to give you wisdom like that. And so when we look back at that passage, if any of you likes wisdom, you should what? Ask God. Ask God. You need practical wisdom. You need practical skills, life skills, in order to do relationships well. In order to go through the difficult patches in any kind of lifelong committed loving relationship. You need skill to understand how to navigate the dynamics in in a flat or a house together. You need skill to know how to handle a boss that is treating you badly. You need skill to know how to handle money, how to handle yourself. And you know, in this world, the Help that we get from our culture, it's just wrong. It's, it's, it's next to useless. It is, you know, we get cliches about, you know, just be your best self. And, and a lot of it is just, just really, really unhelpful. Like, you've got to be true to yourself. No, no, that's bad advice. Just go with your heart. No, please, that's such bad advice to give someone. Don't go with your heart. Don't be true to yourself. You need better wisdom than this. We need something better than an Instagram slogan. You know, you need something better than just shake it off and, and all those kinds of things. You need something which is going to actually make a difference. How do relationships work? What is the best way to treat finances? How do you resolve conflict. What about prayer for the believer? What happens when you're sick? What happens when you're happy? How do we do community together? This requires real solid, practical, earthy wisdom. It's actually heavenly wisdom and God gives it and he says, you just got to ask. And some of you, when I'm saying this, you're saying, what, really? Just simply that easy? You just ask God? Surely there must be a catch. And actually, there is the catch. He goes on and he says this. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So here's the catch, and it's not really a catch. It's just saying this. The wisdom that comes from God The heavenly wisdom that Jesus exemplifies and James, his brother, picks up and now continues to push out. That kind of stuff. It's not just about being in the right frame of mind and knowing some theoretical stuff. It's a kind of wisdom that only works if you commit to it. And so the biblical wisdom about how forgiveness works in relationships, the biblical wisdom about how we do communication, how you navigate difficult conversations with people. James has got all of this stuff, but he's saying you can't be double-minded. The word doubt, it literally means to waver between one thing and another, like a cork on an ocean. You know, it's on the wave, it's up and then it's down, it's up and then it's down. Some of you, in your Christian life, in your Christian experience, you've been like that, up and down, up and down, up and down. You, you, you're with God one minute, and then you've got loads of faith, and you're going for it, and I've got oodles, and this, yeah, I'm trusting God. And then you hit a bit of a snag, a roadblock, or it gets a little bit tough, or you're not so sure, or you just, you fall back. And, and now I'm doing it my way, I'm doing my thing, and, and I'm going with just what the world says, and I'm, 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 you know, I'm prioritizing myself, I'm shaking it off, and I'm trying to you know, be true to myself, and all that kind of nonsense. And you're backwards and forwards. And it's like God says, look, you, you can't, You won't get this unless you totally commit to it. Because as you commit to it, then you see how it works and it pays off. And it's a practical wisdom that you get better with with age. 
Now, I've been a Christian for a really long time. I've been a Christian for more than any of you have been alive. That's just a fact. That's science. Uh, I've been a Christian for a long time. And over that time, I've asked and I've asked and I've asked and I've asked. God, give me wisdom. Make me skillful. I want to have practical wisdom. And God gives me, bit by bit, a little at a time, wisdom. And now I can go and see a situation and think, yeah, I know how that's going to play out. Or I can see two people together and I think, yeah, I, I'm calling. What's going to happen? I, I can watch it. And, and I can see situations and, and understand, not because I'm special, not because I've got anything, but God is generous with the skill that he wants to give you. For some of you, you just need to go home and as soon as you can, you need to get open that book of James and you need to read it because it is concentrated wisdom. And next week, we're going to look at communication. How do you communicate effectively? Because some of you, you get into certain situations and it's almost like you're locked into this negative cycle with people. And the way that you speak just degenerates and you go down a race to the bottom. And James is going to give you some stuff. How do you communicate? Well, we're going to look later on about how to do conflict and and what things cause issues and difficulties in communities, but also between friends. We're going to look at what faith actually looks like. We're going to look at prayer. These are all practical wisdom, but you've got to commit to it. You've got to go for it. You can't just dip in and dip out. You've got to commit to God's wisdom because it's like a skill, like a carpenter's skill. That you get so good at it that you can look at a situation and say, right, that's off. That's not quite untrue. I know what needs to do. It's not a problem. I can sort this. I've seen this before. It's pattern recognition. So we're going to go through some of that stuff uh, over the next few weeks. And this is kind of the introduction. This is the on-ramp to this whole thing. So summing it up, to succeed in life, you need strength, but you also need skill. It's no good just being built like an ox and super strong and super strong and great character, but you just don't know what you're doing and you're making a mess of your relationships. You need skill. You need skill, but you need to have strength so that you can take the rebuttal. So that when your wife says, I'm not sure I love you anymore, you can say, I can do this all day. (laughs) Even if she says, Philip, Stop quoting Captain America. (laughs) So we're going to pray, and uh, we're going to go into worship. But some of you right now, this is absolutely a message in time. I mean, you absolutely need this one right now. Because at the moment, you're in trouble, you're in trial, you're in testing. Your faith is being put to the test. And I just want to encourage you. It's not easy. It's not pleasant. But actually, James says... Consider it pure joy because it's going to lead to something. If you allow it to do its work, it's going to make you perfect and mature. It's going to make you whole and integrated as a person. It's going to make you mature. Some people, they get through their whole life immature. Immature in relationships, immature in their self-discipline, immature people, babies. I know babies that are in their 70s and you just think, how have you not learned this stuff yet? But for those that submit to God's program, you say to yourself, actually, this is my superhero backstory. This is my audition for greatness. And I'm going to let this do its work until I become whole. And I'm going to ask God to give me skill to do life well because he offers it and he's generous with it. So let's pray.
Actually, just keep your eyes closed. But if you're here and you identify with what I'm saying and actually you feel like, yeah, I'm having a bit of a hard time. I feel like I'm going through the mill a little bit right now. I want to pray for you. So just put your hand up where you are. And I'm going to include you in this prayer. Okay. That's a lot of hands. Okay. You can put your hands down, but maybe just turn up towards the ceiling as if you're going to receive something from God. Father, I want to pray for every single one of us right now who's going through difficulty, hardship, and challenge. Lord, I want to pray that you would be the God that helps them get through this, that you would mature them, bring them into wholeness. Lord, that you would help them reframe this difficult time, these difficult relationships, so that they can see your hand in it perfecting their faith. Lord, right now we ask you for the skill that we need to navigate difficult challenges in life. The skill that we need in order to do difficult relationships. The skill we need in order to get through times when we can't see a way out. I want to pray that you'd give us that skill, that wisdom from above. In the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, for the rest of us, that you'd allow us to learn these lessons so that when we do hit the challenges, we're able to rise above them. So right now, the band are going to come up. And uh, what I want us to do is I want us to use the worship as an opportunity to respond. Next week, we're going to look at communication. One simple key that will change how you view relationships and communication, maybe forever. Uh, But let's stand up now. And actually, if you'd like to get some prayer, if you really identified uh, with what I've been saying over the last few minutes, why don't you move over to the prayer sofas? And uh, we'd love to meet up with you. And uh, one of the team will just pray with you, share with you, and see what God can do.